Hi, this is Jordan Elliott from the Pacific Northwest Ski Areas Association and the Mountain Works Podcast. Sorry I'm not around. Leave a message and I'll hit you back. Jordan Elliott, Dave Meeker calling from Sam Magazine. Hey, thanks again for having me out to the conference. It was terrific leading that discussion during the Mountain Works Assembly. It was super fun. We're actually wondering if you could send the audio file over because we'd like to uh, put that together as a episode on PodSAM. Uh, we think it would be great content as a podcast. Give me a shout. Let me know if that's possible. And I uh, look forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Hi, you reached Dave Meeker with Sam Magazine. I'm not available, but if you would please leave me a message, I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Thanks. Dave, Jordan Elliott here, returning your call from the Pacific Northwest Ski Areas Association. Yeah, man, I've been thinking about this audio file for uh, a while now, too. Been wanting to get it out on the Mountain Works pod. Uh, and that it can be a, a collab episode getting over on the PodSam channel, too. I think it's going to be really cool. I think it was a really uh, important conversation that a lot of people need to hear. It was uh, you moderating this panel with four other people. You had a general manager of a ski area in the Northwest. You had a department manager. You had a, a seasoned patroller and you had someone who was brand new to the ski industry and it just made for the coolest most robust conversation about what uh forging a career in the ski industry could look like and i even have an update for you one of those panelists is no longer currently in the ski industry uh, just one season later the next winter and i think it actually just kind of accentuates the point uh adds a little bit of more spice to that panel discussion so uh, yeah, really interesting to me. Uh, I know every ski area that's starting to open up for the season right now. Uh, in the moment, it's hard to address some of these these longer-term strategic uh, career choice discussions, but it's important to keep it in the forefront of your mind also as you're trying to get your staff trained up and get, get everything going. So, All right. Hey, I hope I talk to you soon, and hope we can get some turns in some point. Uh, this winter would be awesome. Thanks a lot, man. Bye. You have tuned in to PodSAM, the podcast channel of SAM Magazine, the voice of the mountain resort industry. On this episode of PodSAM, we're sharing this collab episode with the Mountain Works podcast, hosted by Jordan Elliott, Executive Director of the Pacific Northwest Skiers Association. This episode was recorded live at the Mountain Works Assembly, which was part of the 2022 Mountain Works Conference in Bend, Oregon. The assembly brought together more than 450 ski area employees from all levels, top to bottom, together to have conversations like the one we are about to hear. Let's kick it off with Sam editor, Dave Meeker. We convened this group because they are representative of different paths into the ski industry, uh, different roles at their respective ski areas, and they are making it work in various ways. So first, I think let's start by getting to know you guys. Hannah, let's start with you. Hi. Uh, my name is Hannah. I work at uh, Crystal Mountain Ski Resort as a ski patroller. I got started, I'm from Washington, got started skiing at White Pass as my home mountain. 
um, got into science in high school. I liked my chemistry class and that led me to an undergraduate degree in environmental science. And at the same time, got really interested in backcountry skiing, which then led me to want to be a ski patroller at Crystal Mountain. At the same time, I wanted to maintain my ties to science. Um, so I've worked as a physical science technician at Yosemite National Park. And then two years ago, um, started graduate school at the University of Washington. Um, so I was a full-time patroller for three years. I was a ski instructor before that for one year. Um, and now I'm in graduate school at the University of Washington studying mountain hydrology. So I study snow from space. I use satellites to study snow and have continued working at Crystal Mountain as a ski patroller one day a week while I'm a full-time graduate student in Seattle. So trying to keep the ties of science and uh, outdoor industry and especially um, the ties with uh, water and our or snow and our, our water systems and trying to impact that. We just had a great talk about um, climate change, which I am so glad we're talking about. Um, so yeah, my hope in the future is to be able to positively impact our water systems as they go through all this change in climate. So happy to be here. Very good. Thank you, Hannah. Megan. Hi, I'm Megan. Um, I work at Anthony Lakes um, in Eastern Oregon. I am really new to both the sport of skiing and the ski industry. Um, I've only been working uh, at the mountain for about a year and a half, and I've only been skiing for about five years. I'm originally from Massachusetts. Um, I've been in Oregon for about nine years. I uh, went to college in Portland and studied political science thought that I would end up doing some sort of public policy research or analysis. Um, that was kind of what I wanted to do at that, that point in time. Um, I fell into um, like a public affairs consulting job after I graduated, and I spent um, several years specializing in like digital strategy and advertising for political campaigns and candidates, um, which if anyone's ever worked in the campaign and advocacy space, it can be kind of all-consuming and pretty intense. I got... Uh, pretty burnt out on that after about four years. Um, started uh, thinking about a change in career and um, started taking some graduate courses towards a master's in public administration, um, thinking I want to do something more community oriented. Uh, and at that same time, um, as I started taking uh, classes last winter, I took a job at Anthony Lakes um, selling tickets uh, at their ticket window uh, four days a week. Um, and over the course of the winter, um, in talking to my supervisors and in looking for, for work beyond the ski season, um, I was offered a job as their operations coordinator at their small bike and ski shop in Baker City. And then my role also involves uh, managing all the tickets and season passes in school groups at the mountain during the winter. And then I help um, on the digital front just because of my background. Um, so Anthony Lakes is a super, super awesome, super small organization. And so everyone really pitches in um, everywhere, which is really cool. So backgrounds in snow science and public policy <laughs> and are now in the ski industry. Cody, let's hear about you. Hey, I'm Cody. I work at Meadows, a lift ops manager. I moved out here from New York coming up on 10 years. Uh, I was a firefighter paramedic. I did the paramedic for about nine years. I also had started snowboarding when I was... 11, 12 at a little resort called Bristol Mountain in New York. And one day my family, literally my entire family from my grandparents down to me moved out here, um, drove out here from New York, really had no intention of working at a ski resort. I did it because I was bored at home and sent an application to Meadows and it was lifty for my first season. 
And I ended up just falling in love with the place and I've been there ever since. What do you do during the summertime? I'm the captain of a fishing vessel with Trident Seafoods in Alaska. Um, actually, ironically, I got that job through Meadows, um, through a connection. I'll be honest, I had zero experience. Um, I had zero experience when I got the boat as the captain. Uh, my captain had quit short notice and they're like, hey, you ready? And I was like, is there a better option? Um, there wasn't. So I got the boat. They put a guy on the boat with me for two days to train me. Um, he sat there. Uh, I kid you not, for two days he said two things to me. When I asked how to turn the boat to come into the dock, he's like, oh, just hit that lever. I was like, cool. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure this out on my own. Um, so this will be my fourth year as a captain. I just got a new boat. I'm pretty excited about it. I also, my entire crew that I hired are people that work with me in my department in the winter. So I'm also excited about that, that I get to help keep them employed. And they're all people that I want back next season so I can ensure that they'll come back. So it's my other job, yes. That kind of training doesn't sound like anything that we've all experienced in the industry, right? <laughs> Greg Pack. All right, well... I'm the old guy here, so mine's going to be a little bit longer. You know, I, I didn't start skiing until I was 11, and it was because my friend's mom dropped me off at Ski Broadmoor with him, and I didn't know what we were doing. And I was wearing jeans. He taught me nothing. Threw me on the lift. There was a midway un unload. Threw me off. He went skiing. I saw him at the end of the day. I made one run. It was miserable. It was horrible. I never wanted to ski again. My second time was in junior high because all the cool kids, the cute girls were going skiing. So... I wanted to go skiing so bad. I'm like, this is what I got to do. Well, in order to do that, you know, my, my family worked really hard. I had to clean the bus. I worked it out with our gym teacher to be able to do it. So I was able to go skiing at Monarch and some other ski areas by cleaning the bus. And, you know, my dad took me to Alex Rents to get my skis, which also rented tuxedos. You could get your lawnmower tuned up. And I had these Spademan bindings, if anybody knew those, where they're the brass ones, they hooked from the back. I looked really cool. Um, but I enjoyed skiing, and it translated into high school where I went with my friends, and we'd put 10 people in a hotel room in Frisco, Colorado, and get the Gold Sea coupon book to be able to ski. I'd go to the liquor store. I'd let my face grow out, and me and another this Italian guy, and we wouldn't buy liquor. We'd just go to the liquor store. Um, and you know, we'd party it up in a hotel room for a couple days, and we just loved that lifestyle. We remember looking at the lift operators going, that is the coolest job in the world. Well, later in life, when you have a chance to do that, you know, I went to the University of Northern Colorado, had a chance to become a lift operator, both Aspen and Keystone. Uh, I took Keystone because they were going to pay me three sixty-five an hour. Oh, it was amazing. I was so excited with a student loan and a car payment. Uh, but they also had a housing and a food program to get me in. I'm like, that's the hook. If you can help me with this, I'm in. So I started as a lift operator. I realized I wanted to do this. It was an incredible job. I started, they needed a snowmaker, somebody to watch these lights at night. So I was working 40 hours a week as a lift operator. I wanted to do snowmaking. They stuck me in a room and they said, if a red light comes on, Greg, call us on the radio and tell us. I'm like, all right, this is cool. Well, like my third night, the uh, foreman came in and was like, this is stupid. Why are you just sitting here? Do you want to go out on a snowmobile? I'm like, yeah. He goes, you know how to drive? I'm like, uh, yeah, sure. I had no clue what I was doing. Well, meanwhile, it was a test. He was trying to get me to wreck the snowmobile. He was taking me at night over snowmaking whales and like looking over his shoulder, seeing if I was still there. 
And it was just, a, you know, to see if I could roll it or stay with them. And I, I luckily stayed with it. Well, I worked my way up and left operations, became a supervisor. I started grooming at night, kind of doing the same thing. They did the same damn thing to me. They took me out and gang groom. They tried to bury me in front of a bunch of guests by windrowing everything and seeing if I could handle it, seeing if I'd spin out on River Run in front of all the guests. And, you know, it kind of taught me a lesson at the time in the, in the ski business is, you know, they just want to test your character. You know, it wasn't developing you. It was like, all right, if you can survive this, we'll like you, you know, and we'll let you live. Maybe we'll talk to you in about four years, but, you know, you got to earn your keep here. So, you know, I, was, I eventually went over to Breckenridge. I was lift operations manager there and ran the Alpine Slide. I got a, the opportunity to come back to Keystone to be the director of recreation and I oversaw rafting, sailing, mountain biking, ice skating, you know, kind of all those fun outdoor departments. I'm like, this is the, the greatest business in the world. Uh, worked my up to be the mountain manager at Keystone, which was my dream job and never thought I wanted to go beyond that. Uh, I was out of the ski business for a couple of years, had my own construction company, but really wanted to get back into the ski business, went to work for Interwest out east. You know, they said they were a progressive company. They were buying ski resorts. They were doing real estate development, a really cool company to be a part of. And I wanted to go and they said, well, you can go to New Jersey. And uh, my wife loved me. Um, <laughs> Uh, we took the kids and we went to New Jersey for a couple of years. And the whole idea was to get back, you know, to someplace back out West to do it. I uh, worked for them uh, for a couple of years uh, that Fortress Bottom, they were selling the resort. I got recruited to run Moonlight Basin in Montana in Big Sky. So I was a president and general manager there. Uh, then Telluride called and I went to Telluride to become the president and general manager there. Um, awesome place, raised our kids there. But when they were out of college, you know, we decided to move uh, out to Oregon, got an incredible opportunity at Meadows uh, to be the GM there. So I've done a lot in the ski industry. You know, there's a lot of battle wounds and scars. I still remember after my first year being a lift operator and you know, the company didn't have a job for me in the summer. And I didn't even think about that. I'm like, okay, what do I do now? Like it was a, the seasonal thing that everybody goes through. And, you know, I became a wrangler and, and drove horses and, and did all that until I started doing development on the mountain. How about that? I didn't know you were that a long enough story? too. That was a yeah. good <laughs> uh, So for my part, I grew up in Southern Rhode Island. I learned to ski at Yagu Valley. It's the only ski area in Rhode Island. Yes, really? That's outstanding. Uh, so uh, I learned to ski there, like in Boy Scouts, night skiing, things like that. Um, as I got older, uh, I started playing more baseball and more sports and everything. So skiing kind of, you know, became a side thing. And then like Greg, I would be that that guy that would like go on one bus trip a year with friends who actually skied. And I never had a lot of fun because it was the only time that I ever skied and I sucked and it would always snow and it was really hard. And so then got to college, played baseball through college, studied communication. And then getting out of college, I wanted to get a job in PR. But yeah, it's that old catch 22 where you have to have the experience to get the job and but I have to get the have the job to get the experience and a friend of mine was working in the marketing department at Mount Snow in Vermont and he said hey there's a seasonal PR coordinator position available so why don't you come up and I can get you an interview and you know see how you do and I wound up getting the job I lied then I said I was an okay skier so I had to really learn to ski awfully fast and hosting media and things like that and so after that season I just had so much fun I wound up meeting my future wife that season uh, making a ton of great friends had planned on coming back into a seasonal role is going to go back to Rhode Island and just landscape or something for the summertime and, and return, but wound up uh, catching on to a full-time year-round job in group sales at Mount Snow. Did that for a couple years. Uh, got a call from a friend up at Sunday River in Maine to do the same thing up there. So I did group and conference sales up there for a few years. And then the same friend that 
got me into the ski industry, or at least got that initial interview at Mount Snow called and said uh, that they wanted me to come down and be the communications guy at Mount Snow, which was really what I was after. Ever since I started in the industry, that's the job that I wanted. And so I did that for a few years at Mount Snow, was eventually elevated to marketing director. And one of my favorite jobs, if not my favorite tasks, I should say, uh, in my marketing role at Mount Snow was writing the newsletter for the resort, the weekly newsletter. Uh, every single one would start with kind of a, just a, a column from me, if you will. And it was first person, you know, and it was just fun. I got to, you know, just write about what was going on and not try to mix a lot of marketing spin into it, but at least have a little flavor in there. And uh, it was very lucky that uh, Olivia Rowan, Sam's publisher, and uh, Rick Call, uh, Sam's recently retired legendary editor, read that newsletter. And so when they were looking for another editor, they said, hey, let's call this Meeker guy up and see if he can actually edit. And so uh, it happened to be when I was out for a few weeks after my wife and I had had our second daughter. Of course, I was checking my work email while I was out. And uh, Olivia reached out then. And I said, well, let's switch this over to another email account. And so we wound up going through some edit tests and everything. And I wound up doing an OK job. And uh, that's how I caught on with Sam. So it's, it's pretty amazing how how things work out. That was back in 2015. And I left in early November 2015, which is a really crappy time for a marketing director to leave a resort. But um, it wound up working out great. And here I am, like an ad talk show host to my resume. Uh, but speaking of resumes, I think we're going to start this conversation. Just the, uh, generally, I think we can all agree that a lot of us got into the industry and, and have stayed in the industry because of the lifestyle and the culture and what we really enjoy about it. And it's the people. Uh, it's, it's what we're able to do. It's what we're able to, uh, you know, be a part of either, you know, once a week or on a daily basis or seasonally full time year round. So Cody, we're going to start with you because I think the thing is, so working at Ski Area, of course, we can all agree, isn't always glorious. You know, it comes with its challenges. So you have what is oftentimes a full-time year-round position at a lot of other ski areas, but you work seasonally uh, in two pretty rugged jobs. So how do you make working in the ski industry work for you? It, it's definitely so for the last couple of years, my, my boss has actually been trying to get me to go year round, but the, the Alaska gig has been hard to give up, obviously for financial reasons. Um, you know, I live in Hood River, which is, is pretty expensive, but the Alaska actually really helps subsidize working seasonally for me. And, and I actually think this is going to be my last summer and I intend on going year round next season at Meadows. But, you know, there are many things that make it work for me is, is one, my, my kids are getting into the sport now and they absolutely love it. Um, we go to the other resort, we own uh, Cooper Spur with the kids a lot. And it's, it's just, I almost can't articulate the feeling. It, it's just, um, it's like a beautiful, like sense of home. So when I go to Alaska, I'm going there for money. When I I'm looking forward to getting back to Meadows because that's my home. My friends all work up there. Uh, my partner worked up there until recently. So it, it, it's actually pretty easy to make it work. Um, as, as far as the seasonal things, it has worked out really well for me, but it is hard. Like it's hard leaving. It's hard leaving Meadows. Like when I finish my last day in May, it's, it's tough. You know, even even after a rough season like last year, like last season, 
I was ready for the scene to be over in like February. But then when it ended, it was like, oh my gosh, like it's over. What am I going to do? But yeah, having, having the two, the bouncing back and forth has been difficult. Um, and, and I think it is coming to an end, but it, but it's worked out just kind of through mental fortitude and, and just knowing that I have it to come back to is what is the easiest thing for me. So you leave in May and then you come back, uh, when do you come back? Yeah. So typically like, like this season, I'll probably work till May 15th ish. And then I leave June 1st for Alaska. I'll get back the second week of August, and then I'll start back to Meadows probably a week or two after that. Gotcha. Wow. Uh, earlier, when there was that statistic about the, the fishing industry and it's being a, a good seasonal back and forth, I mean, that's a, you are a good example of that. Uh, Hannah, so you're a part-time patroller in the wintertime, but you're balancing a what I would imagine is a pretty hefty schedule and, and demanding uh, schoolwork portion with grad school. So what's the draw to continue patrolling? Well, I think everyone here will understand wanting to keep working on a ski resort, but I think like what has especially made it doable and desirable has been COVID. So I started grad school in the middle of COVID in uh, the fall of 2020, and we were fully remote, which, you know, you're just sitting in your own room, uh, I'm sure everyone knows um, how exhausting it is to be on Zoom all day. Um, and so having Crystal to go up to and work once a week was like life-saving, not literally, but you know, <laughs> I mean, being able to to interact with people, see all my friends, be with um, within my community and work physically instead of sitting in a chair in front of a computer. I think that is... Um, incredibly important to have that kind of balance. And, um, it's also been easier due to COVID. I was able to live in Enumclaw, which is the closest city to, to Crystal instead of Seattle. And so when there were big, big snow, snow days and, um, avalanche control mornings, I could just go up for the morning, ski some pow and <laughs> work for a, a little bit in the morning and then come home and go to school in the afternoon. So it, COVID made it a little easier to, um, to, to do both and made it more desirable, I think, to do both. And it has been a little more challenging in the springtime. We've been all in person. I go to campus every day, five days a week, and then rally and drive up to the mountain and work my sixth day of the week on ski patrol and then have my one day off. So it's definitely, uh, it's, it's not an easy thing to do, but when your job feels like your vacation, it makes it a lot easier because you love everyone you work with and well, yeah, you know, you don't have to love everyone you work with, but when, <laughs> when all your friends work on, on ski patrol or, or whatever you do at the mountain and, um, and you get to take some fun laps and all that, um, it, it's meaningful work in a very different way than, um, than graduate school is or that science is. You're making a tangible effort for individual people helping with medical or helping up in the mountain, whatever it is, um, very tangible. Uh, and it, it gives you something to look forward to each week after sitting at the computer for five days. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, Greg, you started as a lift operator in 1989. So uh, you've worked your way up to where you are today, of course. What are some of the similarities that you see from when you first started in the industry uh, as far as the draw of the lifestyle, but the, also the, the challenges that staff encounter between then and now? 
Well, I, I would agree. The draw is, uh, I've been out of the ski business a couple of different times and it's, it's totally different out there in the real world. I mean, if, if some of you have been there, but the ski business, the enthusiasm, uh, that comes with the, the youthfulness that people are there because they want to be, you know, for the first part, they either have a really cool job that they love. That's different from an, another job. I mean, snowmakers are badass. I remember working with those guys, having hoses on our shoulders, like hiking up mountains, being out of breath you know, in the dark with a headlamp, just going, this is the coolest thing in the world. I mean, you're getting crushed, but to work with these hardcore working guys, absolutely amazing. Same thing with snowcat drivers. When you're out there, you know, and you're grooming, you're able to do all this cool stuff. It's like playing as a kid, but artistry, uh, you know, working alongside like-minded individuals and, you know, lift mechanics here, you know, in the Pacific Northwest is just hardcore. I mean, to deal with rime ice and, and towers and, and, and trying to deal with all those nuances in, uh, on the side of a volcano in a blizzard, you got to be pretty tough to do that. And if you hang out with those kind of people, it rubs off and it makes you realize how cool you are. Like, I never think I'm cool. My wife tells me that all the time. But it, it just m- brings a joy to you. And it's, it's an incredible industry to be a part of. And if you get away from it, you're really drawn back to it. You know, the, the other part, you know, what makes it challenging, same thing. Like when I did have a student loan car payment, 365 an hour, I had to work an extra 40 hours a week to make it work. I had to do snowmaking. I had to work at Jeffrey Bean, you know, and wear that damn polo shirt and try to sell ties. I had no idea what I was doing, but it was what I had to do to stay in the business. And that's still there in the industry. The housing thing, I moved housing a few different times, a bunch of different people, but, you know, had to find a way to grind it out. I wish things have changed. Like some of the bigger companies that do over a million skier visits have those kind of resources to invest millions of dollars into employee housing and are making it work. You know, some mid-sized resorts, it's a lot harder to redirect that capital into employee housing, but it's happening and securing leases. So the way to find a support for your team, you know, to enter the business and be able to sustain it until they get to a, a comfort level where they can make it work is, is one of the biggest challenges we face. Well said. So Megan, you've been in the ski industry for about a year and a half started as a ticket seller, progressively taking on more responsibility. What are your initial impressions of working in the ski industry? It's, uh, it's casual and it's, it's more laid back. Uh, um, I can only speak for working, um, you know, at a small resort, which I'm sure, um, bigger resorts, it could be a much, uh, different experience. Um, but just that small team environment where it doesn't really matter what your title is or, or what, you know, your, your, supposed to be doing everyone is is pitching in to get it done at the end of the day um and i i've worked uh kind of in that that type of work environment in previous roles and i I love that you know just no matter what you're supposed to be doing you know people are are getting it done at the end of the day um yeah it's fun um being in the recreation business um i think it's been good for me it's it's a lighter it's a lighter industry than some things i think you know we're in the business of of having fun and providing an experience for families and for the community that's fun. Um, and at the end of the day, that's pretty cool. So a common theme, it sounds like, uh, for all you guys, at least you had mention of it is the people is a big part of the draw and the people obviously have a major or contribution to the, the culture, uh, which I would think we'd all agree that the culture is a big thing for, for all of us. Right. I mean, that's, uh, that's something that, uh, you know, there's some parts of our culture that could use some finessing, I would imagine. Um, 
just off the cuff, what sort of parts of culture uh, would you like to see adjusted? Greg, let's start with you. Uh, Meadows is perfect. We don't need anything. <laughs> I agree. Uh, thank you. Next. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a tough question. I think, uh, you know, obviously with the way the ski business is and DEI, you know, is being more welcoming to everybody. I think it's been a pretty closed off business. So changing our culture in that direction, uh, you know, and recognizing that we're taking, we're taking some pretty big steps to address that now and we need outside help. And the, you know, our first step was, you know, recognizing we have an issue and that we need to address it and, and starting to have those conversations, even though they're really uncomfortable, you know, to diversify our workforce and bring in, you know, some other ideas and support it. Um, so we're trying to change our culture there. We're, we're a culture of learning, uh, but we're not, Again, we don't have all the great tools. You know, we needed to find ways to develop, um, you know, and mentor, you know, individuals so they can find a way to make it work. Whatever position that is, whatever their calling is or their why, help them find, you know, a path to that and, and get them comfortable and, and provide those resources for them to be, be able to develop. Uh, Hannah, I want to hear from you about culture uh, as far as the uh, patrolling goes and everything. How does that, what are your observations there at Crystal? Um, and is there anything that you can see that should be, that you'd like to see changed or is it perfect like Meadows? I, I'm not going to say it's perfect. I think we do, yeah, we have to, um, celebrate our, um, our wins and also acknowledge that there are, is, um, space to grow. So yeah, some, some things that come to mind for me, um, would be, you know, we, we train a lot on the technical aspects of the job, especially for ski patrol and, and I'm sure, you know, lift mechanics and, and many other jobs. But I think people who are in leadership roles should probably go through some sort of management training. Um, I think becoming more aware of any inherent biases that we all have because it's a pretty casual industry. And I think people in leadership roles do have a lot of, um, a lot of power, uh, within their workforce. And so when you're in charge of hiring people, you're in charge of, um, how much they get paid. I think it's really important to look at the biases that, that do exist and, and be aware of those. And I think, you know, there's been a lot of work that goes into showing that, um, a workplace benefits from having a diversity of experiences and, um, and people. And so for the ski industry, I think that will, will look like having to do some outreach into the community to really attract people who haven't seen themselves represented in my case on ski patrol. Um, we did have a, um, a women in patrol event at Crystal Mountain um, recently where we brought, we uh, advertised within the community um, and tried to get women from the community to come out and experience a day in the life of a, of a female patroller. Um, and that was a really great event. I think more events like that need to happen. But then I also think we need to do the work to make sure that we are able to mentor those people, have... Um, systems in place that will allow them to get hired and, and really value different skill sets that people bring to the table and not, you know, only hiring all the mountain guides who might have a certain skill set um, versus others who might have a different skill set that is also very valuable. We all have to be able to do the job well, uh, but I think there's historically been more weight put on certain skill sets than others. And so evaluating that and, and, and trying to rethink how we do our hiring and um, how we treat those people once they are hired and how we mentor them. Thank you. We'll get back to culture and, and everything like that in a little bit, but uh, we'll go back to talk about career paths. Uh, Cause I think that's something that's 
it's important to to talk about because you know the five of us are good examples of just different paths into the industry and different backgrounds and uh, where we came from and what we do. Uh, but in our call to prepare for this, we we talked about how not everyone wants or needs to be the general manager, but it's 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 just more about getting to where you feel comfortable. Uh, working your way up to a place where you you know get more responsibility, you're on uh, better financial footing, and uh, but not everybody needs to be the the pinnacle of the pyramid. So uh, and there are different ways of doing this. Of course, there's you know you ask the right questions of the right people when you're first starting out. You're showing interest in doing more and learning more, finding a mentor, uh, making good impressions, being a good teammate, all those kinds of things. So. Uh, Greg, I'm going to start with you again because you shared a good story about uh, when you first realized that you wanted to be a mountain ops director. Yeah, I was. That was day one. Uh, I was uh, the lift lead. Well, I was just a lift operator at Peru. Uh, lift old double chair, yawn, uh, bumping chairs all day, and I saw the the mountain manager like come by on skis and order everybody around, and then he hopped on the chairlift and and left, and then I saw him on a snowmobile later that day. And that same day, I saw him sitting in his office. The very next day, I saw the guy hop in a helicopter because we were doing the Outback expansion, expansion, fly back there, heli-ski, come back, land, and then walk across the base area. And I'm like, damn, I want that job. Like, that is the coolest job in the world. I'm like, how do I get that? And, you know, I realized myself, I needed to broaden my skill set. Like he knew, seemed like he knew everything, you know, summer construction and all these other kind of things. And I'm like, I need to I need to figure out a way that I can expand my career and, and try to understand that. So I, I did try to target that pretty soon in my career, realizing I needed to get out and do a bunch of different things. And, you know, one of the things I also realized is, you know, I wanted to find out what was important to him. You know, what was his big thing? And for him, it was numbers. Like he had to hit your numbers. You had to know where every dollar went with lift operations and, and their spending and you know, everything had to be to the dime and you had to be on it and you had to have your place neat, clean and orderly. You always had to be outside. You had to be friendly. You had name tag. Like he had certain things that he critiqued. And I'm like, all right, if he's the man, I got to emulate that. I got to do those things that are important to him. So that's kind of, I kind of staged my career as I was like, all right, I know what he wants and I'm going to do that. Very good. Cody, your first season uh, as a lifty. <laughs> You never worked on lifts before or anything, right? That was uh, that was your initial thing, but you developed an immediate interest. Uh, and then the following season, you wound up being promoted. Tell us about kind of how that worked out. Yeah, so my first season, I was the, the old Buttercup uh, OIC for the entire first season. I thought you were saying you were the old Buttercup. Yeah, yeah, I was the old Buttercup. <laughs> um, 80 feet of vertical powder. Anyways, um, but I still didn't necessarily know I was going to come back. And the assistant manager that that season had left. So the following season, they had posted an assistant manager position. And I thought about it and I was like, well, if I'm going to go back, I definitely don't want to just be a lifty. Like I want to, I'm going to apply for this. Like, even though I'm, I'm new, I don't have any experience, um, you know, but I, I had brought a very good resume with me. Um, so I'd interviewed for it. Um, and then they ended up kind of 
molding the position into more of like a training supervisor role rather than assistant manager. So they ended up offering me that job, but it still had a bunch of the assistant manager duties. So like on my boss's days off, she assigned me to be in charge of the department. I struggled with that because everyone there had been there longer than me. And most of them had been my supervisor the season before. So initially I got a little bit of, well, I got a lot of the, you know, why are you here? Why are you doing this job? And I was like, I I ask her, like, I don't know, but kept my head down, did my job, proved myself to the people I worked with because even though I, I knew nothing about how lifts operated, like literally nothing. Um, but I didn't know people and I knew managing people, helping people. So as people saw that, you know, similar to, I heard this morning, like, you know, one of the things that's really important is be out there with the team, you know, be the first one shoveling, be the last one shoveling, jump in and learn every job. And, and that's what I started to do because I was in a supervisor role I was then able to start getting more experience in other parts of the resort. And one of my greatest mentors, I don't know if he's still here now, was Tom Scully, who was my boss's boss. And then him and my boss left the resort at the same time for other jobs. So when I actually took over as manager, me and my current boss kind of learned our new roles together which was actually pretty awesome. And I don't know how many people get to have that opportunity, but it was challenging. It was definitely challenging being the new person. Some people had been there 15 years, 18 years. And I ended up getting this job just because of what I had brought to the table from my other career. How did you earn their respect? Did you show a, a, a general interest in in things and did that help uh just trying to learn exactly what what they know yeah yeah absolutely and just being out there with them all the time that first season was not the season to be sitting in the office for me it was to go out and and learn what i needed to teach and learn how all this stuff works so it was just constant manual labor and learning every aspect of the job. That's terrific. Megan, starting out as a a part-time ticket seller, uh, but with the background that you brought to the table, similar to Cody with like a lot of great experience and everything in various things, you wound up getting more responsibility as the, the season progressed and the year progressed, but you were cognizant of others that had, have been at the resort for longer and didn't want to step on toes. How did that, how did that go about? Cause I think a lot of people can relate to that, uh, in, in that process of, of knowing that you can help, but also going about it in the, in the right way. Yeah. I think it, uh, in any workplace can be a, a tough balance because you want to, I think having respect for the structure that you walk into as a new person and respect for the, the people around you and the way things are done is really important. Even if you have a new perspective and you, you bring skills from your background. Um, I think that's something I'm always really cognizant of is, um, just because you have experience in something doesn't mean yours is necessarily the right way to do it. I can 
recall some conversations um, with our, our marketing director, um, you know, sort of trying to offer up some of my skills and letting her know about my digital background, um, just with like the, the website was like in kind of a rough state. Um, and, um, but also not wanting to, to, yeah, be overbearing or overstep my role, you know? Um, and so I think that, uh, that's always just a, a tough balance to, to navigate. But I think if you kind of move respectfully, um, that's generally the best way to go about it. Um, so that was kind of how it worked out for me is in talking with our, uh, marketing director and just trying to let her know that I had a lot of, um, background in website development and project management in that area. Um, that allowed us to kind of move forward. Um, yeah, productively. Greg, you had some, I'm just going to throw it to you again, some good things to say about stepping on toes and being aware of that and how to, how to handle that fear of, of someone who knows he or she can help and do more, but doesn't want to, uh, you know, stir the pot, if you will. Uh, how do they handle that? Well, you know, there's, there's different ways to go about it. I think, you know, one of the most important things is make your intentions known, you know, to your manager, to senior manager. If you can, I remember when I said I wanted to be the, you know, they were hiring a lift operations manager and I'd been there a year and a half and I told them, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'd like to do that. And they looked at me like, what the, who the hell are, you know, I remember the look, it was just like, you, you can't even sweep the floors guy. Like, and you want to be lift manager, but they knew at that time that my aspirations were big. And I think that helped me down the road when the Gondal operations manager became available. They're like, Greg, we got an opportunity for you because they, they knew it. So make, make your intentions known. I think the other thing that's really important is, you know, we're all vulnerable, you know, and, and if we, we don't have to act macho as a macho business. And I talked about guys trying to make me wreck snowmobiles or <laughs> bury me in a snow cat. It, you know, it doesn't have to be like that. You know, I found the best thing that helped me is when I became the mountain manager, I was 28 years old. And I had guys who'd been at the resort 30 years. I had snowcat drivers that could have been my dad, you know, and I'm trying to tell them what to do. You know, the, the attitude I took was like, hey, I need to learn from you guys. Like, I admit, I don't have all the skills I need to do this job. I didn't go in there with that attitude saying, yeah, I'm the biggest, baddest mountain manager ever. I'm like, I got to learn and grow. And the only way I'm going to do that is through you guys. So how can we help each other? So the more you can leverage other people's knowledge, the more you can look at, you know, the people who are doing it great and saddle up to them, whether it's a cat driver that you're really impressed with, a, you know, a snowmaker or a lift mechanic, the more you can emulate what they do and ask them questions, they're going to help you. I still do this. I went skiing with Mike Kaplan, you know, at Aspen and, uh, you know, I wanted to ride the chairlift with the guy cause I just wanted to pick his brain. Like, I know I'm not the greatest guy, but if you, if you, can ask the right questions and, and make it known that you still want to learn and grow no matter what position you're in. That's really going to help you. And you'll be amazed how many people will mentor you and help you if you just ask for that kind of help. It's, it, they're, they're people are really willing to share almost in this industry, which is incredible if you, just, if you just ask for help. And that's key. It's raising your hand and saying, hey, like, you know, I want some help, but I'm also interested in doing this and, and want to learn more about it because that's... Uh, that is key and asking the right questions of the right people. Uh, it's also about making good impressions. And uh, one of the things that we've talked about is the difference of the opportunities to make a good impression at a small ski area compared to the ability to make a good impression on the, the higher ups at a, a larger ski area. At larger ski areas, you may have a, a limited chance to make an impression, right? Because if, if you're someone in a, in a position like like Hannah's at the ski patrol and perhaps has larger ambitions in getting into snow science, but you really want to be a, a patroller for, for life, uh, <laughs> then 
you may not have the opportunity to get in front of the folks that would make that choice, the decision to to move you up. But at a, a operation like Anthony Lakes, you see those people every day and you're able to make that impression. And that's just a, a really interesting uh, dynamic that, uh, you know, th- that I think it's important to for everybody to understand, anyone that has the ambition to do more and, and be more at their particular operation, big or small, to understand that at any given moment, you have the opportunity to make a good impression. And so you just have to be aware of what you're doing at all times. Am I right? I mean, that kind of seems like one of those things, because if, you, if you're, you're caught messing around at the wrong time, then... And uh, I think the other, one of the other key things is, you know, when you're running a resort, and you guys all know from your different positions, right, you, you only get snapshots of other things that are going on. And I tell people this all the time. You may think, as a GM, we know everything. We don't. You know, I could look at the other GMs in this room, is we have small little opportunities. So what may be obvious to you is like, can't this guy see I'm working really hard and I want to move up or I want this role or I've been thinking about doing this or I need development? You know, why aren't they doing anything for me? You know, first and foremost, you know, development, you know, is 95% you, right? You have to have that drive and motivation. It's like 5% the company providing you those opportunities. And once that, in, that is engaged, they can really help you. But you, you have to make it known and you have to have those conversations because when you get snapshots, you may get the wrong snapshot and it may be just brief that you're spending time with somebody. So be vocal about it and be vocal about where you want to go. That leads us into the conversation about mentorship. How many of you guys have had a mentor in your professional life? Yeah, that's a big deal and remarkably impactful. And so, Megan, have you had a mentor? I feel like mentor is a really formal word, so I always struggle with it. Um, But I do think I've had examples uh, in the workplace and at Anthony Lakes of um, people who I look up to and who I see working um, really hard and who have taught me a lot about the industry being so new to it. Um, So I think in an informal way, yes, yeah. Cody, you said uh, your first mentor at at Meadows uh, did leave, but everything, what was it, what was that mentorship about? Like what what, uh, did your mentor do to, to help you move along? Um, it was, it was very casual. Like, um, you know, I, I wasn't like picked or assigned. It was just, um, it was me asking questions and the more questions I asked, he would teach me more and more. And, and it was just natural. There, there was no like paperwork assigned with it. It was, I, I, I think we bonded um, and my, my immediate supervisor at the time, you know, we had a very similar relationship, but hers was more of the, the office, the office stuff, the here's how you deal with these personalities. You know, but Tom would, would bring me around and show me stuff, show me things that I would have never known existed. It possibly to this day, if I hadn't been shown that. So it was, it was definitely me pushing a little and him receiving that and recognizing it and helping me become a better leader, which I think is ultimately what also got me the manager position. So it's two ways. It's like for for someone who has the ability to be a mentor and has knowledge to share uh, to mentor someone else, it's worth uh, their time if he or she knows that that person is interested in and wants to learn more. And so by asking those questions, you, uh, you raise that flag of saying, Hey, 
I'm willing, I'm ready. Like if you want to do this, that's uh, so that happened more organically. Uh, <laughs> this is always a fun one. I'm going to uh, start with Hannah. What's a valuable piece of advice or guidance a mentor, if you have had one, assuming, has ever given you? Well, that's a tough one. Um, I, I guess I'll start by saying that in terms of mentorship, I think um, we have a lot of uh, patrollers on at Crystal who um, are have been great mentors. And then also that my advisor, um, Jessica Lundquist, who is a badass female scientist, um, who has two kids, has balanced many different um, roles in her life, has uh, she, she's a brilliant brilliant scientist, um, and is also very supportive of work-life balance. So, um, she, she saw that, um, I had the background of, you know, working with Stowe physically, not just on a computer and recognized that as a, as an asset, um, and, and still encourages me to maintain work-life balance. She encourages me to sometimes skip lab meetings and go skiing. So, <laughs> um, she's been great with that. Um, in terms of some advice I've received, I, I guess that would be my, my biggest piece is, is the, the balance. I think for, for in my life, the reason I went to graduate school was because I wanted more of a, um, like a mental challenge and to affect change at a larger scale. You know, we see tangible changes, uh, when we're helping with, um, you know, medical on the slopes or when we're, um, controlling avalanche terrain to get places open. Um, but in terms of like big issues like climate change and, um, access to water, I think that's kind of where I have been drawn. Um, but seeing the effects that working inside all day have had, I think we all need to acknowledge how important it is to have balance in our lives, have both that challenge, um, to our, uh, mental capacity, but also, um, hard physical labor, I think is really healthy for us all. So the work-life balance thing has been huge for me. Thank you all for this and for sharing your stories and for, uh, being in this industry. It makes, you know, makes us all better for it. And thank you guys for listening. And that's it for us. Cheers. Thanks guys. Want to hear more episodes like this one? Support this podcast by subscribing to SAM Magazine at www.saminfo.com slash subscribe. And be sure to check out the Mountain Works podcast wherever you get your pods. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. The Pod Sam advisor is Alex Kaufman, the Winter Mix podcast guy. Thank you for tuning in to Pod Sam. <laughs>